Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Travis M. Andrews. Travis is an author and staff writer for the Washington Post's style section, where he covers internet, pop culture, and the ways we live now. Previously, he was an associate travel and culture editor for Southern Living and a contributing pop culture reporter for Mashable in the Week. He has also written for Time, Esquire, GQ, and The Atlantic, among others. He lives in Washington, D.C., where he acquiesces to the every wish of his puppy, Stevie Nicks, and misses his native New Orleans. Travis's new book, Because He's Jeff Goldblum, Movies, Memes, and Meaning of Hollywood's Most Enigmatic Actor, released in May 2021, and is in stores now. Travis, that is a very impressive bio. We're very excited to have you today and talk about your book. How are you? Doing well. Thank you uh, so much for having me today. Your book recently came out. So how are you feeling about the book? I'm feeling good. It's a very strange experience, uh, it being uh, my first book, you know, to work on something for so long and then kind of put it out. You know, in the newspaper world, things tend to move a, a lot more quickly. So it's been a really interesting experience to kind of finally put it out. And now you just, I guess, wait and see, uh, see what people think. My first question is always, where are you in the world right now? But I know from your bio that you're in D.C., how long have you been in D.C. and how does being a writer, being a journalist, how are you affected by that location? That's a good question. I've been in D.C. this go-round, I want to say, for about five years. And I lived here previously uh, for another three-year stint. And it's, you know, it's a fascinating place to, to be. I think as a writer and as a journalist, certainly, there, there's obviously a lot to cover here. But I also think that in a city like this, you just meet so many people from so many different backgrounds that this really informs any sort of writing uh, or reporting that you're going to do, uh, maybe more so than, than maybe some other cities. Obviously, when you finish a book, there's a little bit of a delay. Sometimes maybe you finish the book, there's a whole year before the book comes out. So did you write this book during quarantine or was this a before and then it took a little time for it to come out? I actually finished it before quarantine and it was actually supposed to come out during quarantine. But And there's a big Times article about this, uh, if anyone wants more info, but the printers were backed up for all the major publishing houses. So we moved the, the release date. So the wait ended up being even longer than uh, originally expected. But it was in the can uh, before, you know, back when we were still working in the office. Before we get into the actual writing process, I would love to talk about your origin story. You're a journalist and an author. Did you always want to be a writer? Walk us through your career trajectory leading up to this point. Absolutely. Yeah. When I was a little kid, I, I was uh, your classic kind of found refuge in books kind of kid. I remember I would stay up reading so late that one time, like a third grade teacher called my mom and said, you know, Travis is staying up too late. He's clearly doing, you know, playing video games or something. And mom's like, no, he's actually reading books all night for better or for worse. So I always knew I wanted to write. And when I got to high school, I did, you know, the lit mag and the newspaper and all that. But it wasn't really until I got to college that I kind of figured out a way to write for a living, which is journalism. I went to LSU and we have a great daily newspaper and the whole staff is paid. And when I first got there, I found out about this and I signed up for the paper. 
started doing that as a side job and it was a way to write every day and be paid for it, which is you know the dream. And in doing so, I then fell in love with with journalism and the world of, of newspapers and journalism. And from there, I just uh, kind of pursued it. I worked in advertising for a little bit because I graduated in 09. Newspapers weren't weren't doing so well. Not that they're doing great now, but you know they've had a little bit of a resurgence. So I worked in advertising and I freelanced an awful lot. Worked at Southern Living Magazine for a while as an editor. And then five years ago, I joined The Post. How did you transition being a journalist to writing this book? Now, there was a little bit of synergy that, that worked out pretty well. I actually had written an article about uh, Jeff Goldblum for the Washington Post, and my agent, uh, Laurie Abkemeyer, she saw the article and had been looking for someone to write a book about Jeff Goldblum and gave me a call. I feel like the luckiest person in the world. It, it just kind of really worked out. And I knew I had always wanted to, to write books. And so when she gave me that call, it was like, yes, this is, this is, the, this is the path. This is the way. I have a lot of questions about this book and the process behind it. And I would love to frame our episode around your process of writing a, would you call it a biography? It's biography. It's kind of a celebration and it's kind of a rumination. You know, people keep asking that. And it, it's not, I don't think, a straight, strict biography. I think right. if someone picked it up looking for, you know, kind of a classic like Mark Harris's biography of Mike Nichols, you know, it's not quite that. I think it's more of trying to capture the essence of Jeff Goldblum while telling you know fun stories about him, but really in a way that celebrates his career and hopefully entertains the reader. That, that's my, my main goal, was to create something that would make people happy. I think we could use that after the you know, couple of years we've had. Absolutely. With that being said, I would love to start with a little bit about the book, if you don't mind. Please. I'm doing my worst. All right. Because he's Jeff Goldblum, the movies, memes, and meaning of Hollywood's most enigmatic actor, when did you first realize that Jeff Goldblum was a thing, his small but memorable role in Annie Hall? Was it when you saw him in The Fly, a Jurassic Park meme, or have you always been a Goldblum fan and the rest of the world is just now catching up with you? Travis M. Andrews, who we're talking to today, culture reporter at The Washington Post, has known that Jeff Goldblum was special for a long time. Because he's Jeff Goldblum, contains multitudes, much like Jeff Goldblum himself. It's a deeply researched biography. It's hilariously funny and offers readers both a rumination of fame and a dose of levity, ready to lift our spirits, engage our minds, and send us down a Goldblum path of goodness. Andrews traces Jeff Goldblum's unlikely path from young stage actor to bit player in films to Hollywood and meme icon, interviewing everyone from directors like Lawrence Kasdan and Philip Kaufman, colleagues like Harry Shearer and Billy Crudup, and pop culture experts like Chuck Klosterman and Sean Fennessy to get to the bottom of this whole Goldblum thing. Because he's Jeff Goldblum explores Goldblum's unusual but signature style and 20-plus year career along the way while learning about his lifelong love of jazz, his quirky fashionist, his curious travel program, and his remarkable and unlikely Hollywood trajectory. The reader realizes that Goldblum didn't conform to the industry, the industry and the public conformed to him. And I've got a few quotes. The first one, is in Because He's Jeff Goldblum, Travis Andrews leads fans on a tour of Goldblum's unconventional career and cultural resonance with all the wit and charm of the actor himself. That's Jennifer Keishan Armstrong, New York Times bestselling author of Seinfeldia. And then we've also got Jeff Goldblum is the only man in Hollywood capable of selling himself as a heinous human insect bird, a leather jacket-clad mathematician, dinosaur expert, and the grandmaster of the Avengers universe. 
Travis M. Andrews because he's Jeff Goldblum is a brilliant, fascinating deep dive into Goldblum's life and career, revealing that he's even smarter, funnier, and weirder than we dared to hope. And that's from Andy Green, New York Times bestselling author of The Office. There are many more reviews on Amazon from Booklist, Yahoo, Jeff Edgers, Authors Walk This Way, Publishers Weekly, Library Journal. The list goes on. Those are really impressive reviews. How does it feel as a writer when you put the book out and you're getting all these great reviews? You do a lot of blushing. <laughs> it's so kind, but it's it's almost embarrassing in a way to have such, you know, these are authors that I look up to so much and to have them say such kind things is, it feels really, really nice, especially, you know, like I said, when you when you work on something for a long time and you're kind of in your own world with it, you don't you don't know how it's going to be received. And again, working in journalism where things move quickly and I know almost immediately how things are being received. My, my inbox uh, and my Twitter feed make it very, very clear if people like or don't like something I've written uh, for the post. But a book was such a different experience. And, and to have everyone say such kind things was, it was really, really touching. I, I feel so grateful to, to all of them. So let's rewind back to you know, the inception of the book. You mentioned earlier the opportunity that came about through your agent. My first question is, do journalists always have agents? It sounds like you already had one. That obviously helped bring this opportunity to you. But walk us through that. How does that come about? Well, I actually didn't have an agent. She called okay, asking to okay. sign me. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So the way it worked, I'll go back to the, the newspaper article, the way that came about, there was a day uh, Jeff Goldblum was releasing a jazz album. I didn't even know he played jazz at the time. And like on the same day that that news was announced, there was also this enormous 30-something foot statue of him in London, in Hyde Park. And that was kind of making the rounds online. And I was sitting there with my other colleagues at the Post uh, and the culture, uh, pop culture section at the time. And I remember saying, now, what is the deal with Goldblum? Like he is, I've always known him to be a, a great actor, but he was this big A-lister in the 90s. And then, you know, we're now 30 years past that. And somehow he seems more relevant than ever. Why is that? And my colleagues all at the same time, I swear it sounds invented, but it's true. They all just said, because he's Jeff Goldblum, which was very nice because they gave me the title immediately. And I remember saying, but what does that mean? And my editor, as editors are wont to do, was like, well, why don't you write a piece about this you know, for us? So I did, just kind of exploring how this, this actor remained as relevant, even though he, you know, he's not really in that many movies anymore. He's not, you know, most of the time, if you see him, it's either in an internet meme or for an ad for apartments.com. And yet people just adore him. So I wrote that. And then a couple of months later, Laurie gave me a call and told me she was an agent. I was already shopping around another book idea, but when she called and, and said she thought the, the time was right for this book and she went to sign me, uh, she's a great, great agent. And I, I jumped at the opportunity. I said, sure. And so I signed with her. So she handles you know, all book stuff, the, the journalism stuff. I don't have an agent. I'm not sure if other people do in that world. So when you begin to start working on the book, the opportunity comes to you, you're like, okay, I actually have to start writing this now. A biography obviously is different than you know a fiction book, which we talk about a lot on this podcast. So when you set out to write, do you you know from an outline stage, do you start with what you want it to be, or do you start researching and build what you want it to be from the research? It's a great question. I think it's a little. I think I did kind of a half and half situation. I knew that to write about him, you need to have kind of your your solid base of the, I think his origin story, where he came from. People are always interested in that kind of thing. So for about the first half of the book, I 
let what I found kind of arrange that. I knew the first half would be kind of chronological and walk through him becoming an actor and kind of his early roles. I also knew that the other thing I really wanted to explore was the kind of the way that fame and celebrity has really changed in the internet age. Uh, and that's, I believe, the reason why he remains as relevant today as he ever did, alongside other actors like Christopher Walken or Bill Murray, who really became internet darlings and that helped them kind of stay in, in the public eye. And so for the second half of the book, I knew I wanted to play around a little bit and explore that, not necessarily keep it chronological. So for that half, I kind of came up with what I wanted, where I wanted to go, and then through the reporting, built that that way, whereas the first half of the reporting kind of really, really focused. And then throughout the book, I had these little interludes. I knew I wanted to have some fun with it, have some kind of ridiculous fictional bits in between the chapters. And for those, I kind of did those just as they came to me. Like in one, it's a, a play between, where a young Jeff Goldblum meets the current Jeff Goldblum. and that idea probably came halfway through writing the book. And I was just like, oh, that'd be kind of a goofy thing to throw in the middle and allow me to, to write a little, a little fiction as well. I would love to break some of those steps down to get a little bit more granular. As far as the research phase, how does one set out to gather information about Jeff Goldblum? Is it sitting down and watching all of his films and taking what books are out there that would be relevant to Jeff Goldblum? Where do you even start? to find out what those sources are and how long does it take to go through the material? It definitely takes a long time. Uh, so the first thing I did was just watch everything and, and tried to do it as much in order as possible that he appeared in, just to get a sense for kind of an, over, an overreaching arc of, of his career. And that involved buying a lot of out-of-print DVDs for like a dollar on eBay. He's appeared in some pretty difficult-to-find movies. A lot of them are not streaming. And then from there... I think the next step that we took, my girlfriend is a librarian, which was great for a project like this because she knows how to find everything. And so we found basically every article we could find written about him throughout his career and just printed them all out. I have boxes and boxes of this stuff and just read through everything. And in doing so, certain patterns start to emerge and you kind of see certain both you know, things he would say and things that he would focus on, it kind of becomes clear what talking points he would hit over the years, what he seems to care about. So once I did all that, then it's just reaching out to anyone and everyone who's been connected with him over the years. There's a, a great writer, Gavin Edwards, a Rolling Stone writer, who wrote a couple books similar to this, The Tao of Bill Murray and a, another one on the world according to Tom Hanks. And he told me at the beginning of this, he was a great kind of mentor throughout the book. He said, what you want to do is you, you want to reach out to the, you know, the big actors and the big directors that worked with them, but really you want to talk to the guy at the craft services table. You want to talk to the, you know, the guy holding the mic on set. And those are the people who will probably give you the, the real good stories. So I would pull up an IMDb page of, you know, pick a movie, Jurassic Park, and then go down and just reach out to everyone who worked on the movie. So sometimes you'd be sending out you know, 200 emails for a movie and and some people get back and tell stories. But yeah, it's, it was an interesting process. It can be a little arduous and a little slow at times. But in the end, it kind of all comes together, I think. And you end up you know, with all this great information. And then the writing process, you take that and I just broke it into chapters. And I treat each chapter kind of like its own essay, so to speak, or its own feature article. And that helped it be manageable for me because that's something that you know I already do for a living. So I know how to write one 5,000-word feature. So a book is just writing, you know, 11 of them or whatever. The question that I'm sure you get, 
probably first for most people is, was there any involvement from Jeff Goldblum's team or himself? People set out to write biographies. How often are the people that the book is about involved? It's a good question. I don't know how often people are involved. I would say, I would say you probably get like a 50-50 split if I had a guess. And that's a total guess. Goldblum was not involved with the book. He was aware of it. His team was very kind and very open to me reaching out to people in his life to interview them, but he was not involved. And, you know, at first I was bummed about that. I think naturally it's kind of like, oh, you know, how do you go about doing this? And so what it is, is it's called a write around in the industry. And it basically means you don't have participation for the subject. And in some ways, a write around allows you to get at things that maybe the subject wouldn't necessarily want, which isn't negative things or, or anything like that, but just allows you, I think, a bit more freedom. I think oftentimes, we see this in newspaper writing, when the subject is involved, particularly when it's someone who's, you know, wields a certain amount of celebrity and power, like someone like, say, Jeff Goldblum, they do tend to try to push the article in the exact direction they want it to, right? They have an agenda, of course. And when you do a write-around, you have a little bit more freedom to, to do it more your way. So in the end, you know, obviously it would have been great if I had gotten an interview or two with him. But in the end, I'm almost glad it was a write-around because it allowed me to really explore some of the things that I was interested in that maybe he would have not necessarily you know, wanted the book to go in those directions, uh, such as the shifting nature of fame and celebrity in the internet age. I can't imagine he would care very much about that. There's also something about him being self-aware of his own personality and charm that you just don't want to probably hear about. You know? Exactly. So often, you know, who among us can talk about ourselves in a purely true fashion, right? We all have the image of ourselves in our heads. But when you talk to 50 people around somebody, then I think a more probably accurate picture begins to emerge. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. As far as those other interviews you did, reaching out on IDB, the people that were in the movies, what did those conversations look like? When you did speak to someone, how did you kind of filter that information and decide, okay, this is good enough to go in the book? Walk us through the process of taking all those interviews and taking the best of that and putting it in the book. 
Absolutely. So my interview style has always been, uh, no matter what story I'm working on, is to kind of keep things conversational. And I think in doing so, you can kind of feel where a subject wants to go, what they want to talk about. So that's what I would do. I would reach out and just say very vaguely, hey, I'm working on this book about Jeff Goldblum. So if I'm reaching out to, say, Lawrence Kasdan, who directed The Big Chill and Silverado, two movies that Goldblum appeared in, I just reached out and said, hey, I'm working this book about Jeff Goldblum. I'd love to hear your experiences working with him. And so you know, he agrees, we have the phone call, and I kind of just keep it vague at first. You know, what was, what, what was it like to work with Jeff Goldblum? What was your, you know, what struck you about him? Things like that. And then oftentimes the subject will kind of say something, kind of go in a direction that you then kind of seize on and say, okay, well, let, let's go further down this rabbit hole. Let's hear more about, you know, for him, I remember him talking about Jeff's antics on the set of The Big Chill. And they all lived in like a house together uh, down in South Carolina. And he clearly wanted to just talk about the funny stories from the set. So I would just kind of push him in that direction. And as for what goes into a book, what you try to avoid, I think, always is the more vague notions that people will give you. People will often say, oh, you know, nice guy, stuff like that. What you want is the specific stories. When, they, when you can key on something specific that you think people will remember that will resonate with people. That's, that's what I always try to include in a, a book like this or, or an article. You know, we always go for specificity over something more broad. So once you've you know, done your research, you've interviewed some people, I assume at that point, had you started writing the book? Or are you really you know, separating it, research and interviews first, and then sit down and write? And at what point, once you completed the research or felt like most of it was completed, did you rearranged what you thought was the outline and start to really break it into chapters? So from the beginning, I had it broken pretty well into chapters. Things obviously changed as we went on, but the way I would do it is I would kind of work on one chapter at a time. So I would, you know, chapter, let's say, two is sort of his origin story, him growing up in Pittsburgh up until when he turned 17, he leaves for New York City to become an actor. So I reached out to people from his childhood and, and things like that. And I really focused on that chapter before moving on to the second one. Now, what would happen is later on, I'd maybe be speaking to someone else. An interview would pop up that had some relevant information, would fit that chapter. So then I'd go back to chapter two and add you know, what I found. But for the most part, I tried to write it one chapter at a time. And then when I kind of reached the point where I had exhausted all my interviews and I had exhausted all the research, I then took a look at it. And as you suggested, I rearranged some of the chapters. And in a couple of cases, I kind of spliced two chapters together where I realized, oh, we're kind of hitting on the same theme here. And I think this information can be part of this chapter. But I found, I think if I had done all the research first and then sat down to, to write the whole book, I think it would have been overwhelming. I always think about what they say, you know, when you're running a marathon, just take it one mile at a time. So I tried to take it one chapter at a time. And that did require some doubling back, but I'm in awe of people who do all the research and then sit down and pump out 80,000 words. I have no idea how they do it. Tell us about the fictional elements. You said you incorporated play uh, with Jeff Goldblum, speaking to Jeff Goldblum. I imagine you had an idea for that early. Obviously, I assume the research might have affected that too. Walk us through how that came to be and how you decided to integrate it into the book. For sure. Early on, I thought about what the structure of this book would be. And what the kind of the purpose, you know, early you asked me, would you call this a strict biography? And, you know, we said kind of it's not quite that. And one reason is when I sat down to think about what 
a book on Jeff Goldblum would look like. I thought, what do people want from a book about Jeff Goldblum? What do people like about Jeff Goldblum? They like his presence. They like his aura. They find him charming and charismatic and funny and interesting. But I don't think they necessarily want to know which street he grew up in or, uh, you know, specific kind of biographical details. What makes Goldblum so interesting to people is this kind of strange aura that I think they wanted to explore more. And so I thought, okay, you're reading a book about Jeff Goldblum. You kind of want to feel like you're hanging out with Jeff Goldblum to some degree. So how can we do that in a biography? And I thought, well, if we have these little parts in between the meteor chapters that are just, you know, a couple pages max that can be goofy or can be fun or can be just kind of weird. I think that's, you know, what people want when reading about an off-kilter actor. So when he declined to, to give an interview, I just remember calling my editor and just being like, what if we just wrote a fake one? I've never seen that done before. You know, will we get sued? Like, what will happen if we just make one up? I've read now 50 years of interviews with this guy. I think I can, like, guess what an interview would go like. She loved the idea. So I did that. And then we started just thinking, okay, well, what if between every chapter we had something like that? So one of them is the play I mentioned earlier. One of them, he had a, a death, a fake internet death scare back in, I think, 2009. So I just wrote up a, uh, you know, a fake news article about him dying. But of course, in the article, the saddest person about his death is him, because obviously he was actually alive. And for those bits, I didn't exactly know what each one was going to be when I started writing. I kind of just kept a document open where if I had an idea, I just kind of threw it in there. And then towards the end, I brought a whole bunch to my editor and was like, which ones of these should we do? So for example, one that we did not do because logistically, as a book, it would have been very hard, was a choose-your-own-adventure 20-page section, which you could be Jeff Goldblum and live through his career. We thought that might have been a fun idea, but utterly ridiculous and impossible to do, because then you have to like rearrange the book in some crazy way. Tell us about the process of actually sitting down to write a book. You've done all this research, you've got the interviews, now you've got the meat, so to speak. How are you refining it? How many rounds are you working Chapter by chapter, are you doing a pass through the entire book and then going back? Walk us through the writing and the editing process of just getting it from all this research to a finished work. My general kind of writing strategy is I compile everything together, all the research I have, and I kind of really just pour over it for a few days, just kind of going through it, trying to figure out what I want to say in a chapter or a feature or whatever it is. And then I go for very long walks and I just kind of try to clear my head. And I, I put it all together sort of in my head before I sit down to the blank page. So I'll have some sort of semblance of a structure in my head with all this research kind of informing it. And then I'll sit down and, you know, I, I'm lucky in the sense that at that point I can sit down, and I can really just write the thing. So I would kind of sit down and just write a chapter, you know, write the 7,000 words in kind of a feverish writing session. And of course, those words would be terrible because you can't, you can't just sit down and write 7,000 good words. So I would take that and then I would just set it aside for a while and then maybe work on the next chapter, maybe do, you know, I want to say I did like three at a time. So then after I was done writing the third chapter, I would go back to the first one and start pouring through it, editing it, going back through the research, adding things that maybe I missed the first time or that worked better, you have a better quote or whatnot. And refining it. And so then I would do the next three or four chapters. And then by the time I had done all of them, I then sat down with the entire book, read through it, 
and would go back and refine wherever possible or add callbacks or foreshadowing things to kind of connect all these chapters in a way that wouldn't make it feel like 11 essays, even though that was my original approach. So I did that, you know, a couple times at the end, had friends, family read through those chapters, offer their own advice. And then you give it to, I gave it to my editor and she had, you know, some top line notes. We rearranged a couple chapters here and there, but from then on, you just kind of go chapter by chapter and, and edit it down until it's a final form. I read some of the reviews. I think a question many people might be wondering, similar to Jeff Goldblum's involvement, is did you ever hear back from him or his team on how they felt about it? Do you know if you read it? And then I guess if you don't know the answer to that, I guess, like you said earlier, you've read so much about him, you could almost understand his character. What do you think that he would feel? Do you think you'd enjoy it? It's a great question. I have not heard back from him. And I feel like if I do, like I'm kind of 50-50. Either I'll hear back from him if he loved it or if he really hated it. Um, I think that in general, he would probably like it. It is a pretty celebratory book. It'll mention, you know, missteps and projects that I think and that others think didn't work, but those really are few and far between. The, the purpose of the book is to really celebrate his career because I think that's what people want from it. The one thing that I think about is he has always insisted that he's not a careerist and that he doesn't think about his career as a career. And that, you know, Obviously, someone who starred in one of the biggest movies of all time in the 90s, two of the biggest movies of all time in the 90s, it's hard to say, okay, that guy is not a careerist at all. But if you look at his career, it is very strange. He goes from being in these huge movies to just doing whatever seemingly strikes him, small indies, playing jazz piano, just kind of following his muse. So the one thing I wonder is if he would say, well, it's a book kind of about my career and I don't think about my career as a career. And maybe that would irk him a little bit. But I think in the end, he probably would enjoy it. But it always comes back to a question that I have, and I keep thinking about. If someone were to write a book about me and just interview everyone I've known for my entire life, would I want to read that or would I be terrified to read that? Love that. Travis, I have some bonus questions. We call them a series of seemingly random questions. Are you down to entertain us? That sounds great. Let's do it. First one should be a pretty easy one. I imagine you've been asked this before. What is your favorite Jeff Goldblum story from all the research and interviews you've done? So my favorite story, I'll try to make this PG rated as possible. He was on the set of The Fly. And if anyone hasn't seen The Fly, there is a scene with a baboon. That's all that really matters. They had a baboon on set. And baboons are not necessarily the kindest of creatures. They can, uh, they've got you know, two, three inch long fangs. They're incredibly strong. And a baboon that's a little out of control can be a huge problem. And this particular baboon, I spoke to the script supervisor on the fly, and she was telling me that the baboon took a, let's say, romantic interest in her. And whenever they would bring the baboon on the set, the baboon would essentially go into heat, which is not what you want from a baboon on your set, and would just kind of be losing it. So they had to like lock the baboon in a room trying to figure out what to do, how to calm it down. And they said that, you know, this baboon was just like shrieking and, and everyone was terrified of the baboon. Cronenberg had no idea what to do. And the one person who managed to calm the baboon down, unsurprisingly, it, it seems, was Jeff Goldblum. He bonded with the baboon. We get the baboon to calm down and just kind of carry it around the set. And that image to me is so funny. So funny that we had Lee Cox, the wonderful illustrator for the book, actually draw that, uh, <laughs> that imagined scene. But 
that just struck me as so weirdly on brand. Of course, Jeff Goldblum calmed a baboon down during the filming of The Fly. And the best part was, that wasn't the only time I heard a story about a baboon. There was another movie he worked on in the 70s that had a baboon in it that apparently he befriended. So Jeff Goldblum, friend of the baboons. Love that. Next question. Obviously, you wrote this book. You're still a journalist. Are there any key similarities or differences in the process of writing from a journalistic standpoint and writing a biography? That's a great question. I think in the actual research and reporting, it's very similar, aside from just you know the general scope and volume of the research and reporting. I think with the big difference comes down to the actual writing, you know, and, and this, I think, also depends on where you tend to, to work. The Washington Post is a legacy newspaper. We have certain rules. We have a certain, you know, we can be voicey. And in the style section, I am allowed to, to be a little bit more voicey than, say, in the politics of the national section. But at the same time, we know who our audience is, and we kind of adhere to a certain, a certain newspaper speak, even when we're being voicey. And we kind of keep that tight. No first person, obviously, no profanity. We can use humor, but we kind of try not to overload things with humor. And in a book, you just have complete free reign to write however you want, which is both terrifying and really exciting. Because it's the really the first time in my career where it was sort of like, okay, blank slate, and you just do it your way entirely. Obviously, you know, my editor, Jill Schwartzman, you know, she would come in and make suggestions, but really it allows you to to really go in whatever direction you want. And like I said, that's really freeing in one way, but another way, when you sit down and write a piece for the post, you kind of know the rules and know the parameters where this was sort of like, you could do anything. And yeah, so I think that's that's the major difference. But when it comes to the actual reporting and research, that generally is about the same. You were approached by an agent when you wrote the article about Jeff Goldblum. These days, that's a pretty common story for writers who want to break into the industry, managers, agents, they're looking for any sort of IP. Do you have suggestions for the writers out there who are trying to break in and do what you did, where you wrote something, put it on the internet? Do you have suggestions for writers out there who are trying to get their foot in the door? Yeah, I think this might be a little obvious, but I thought about this after writing that piece. I remember it was like a Friday or a Thursday, it was towards the end of the week. And- didn't necessarily want to write it, but you know it was a sign. So I sat down and I, you know, gave it my all. You know, and I think that's that's it. Just every time you remember that anything you put on the internet will remain on the internet. So every time you write something that you're going to put out, just put your best foot forward, put the work in every time, because it never ever occurred to me that this of all the I've written you know more than a thousand pieces for the post never occurred to me this would be the one that led to this. But I think because I treated it with as much seriousness as I treat everything else I write for the post, that really helps. So I think that, you know, remember that everything you put out there can be seen and you never, ever know which thing will be the thing that that is seen and that does pique someone's interest. And then on the other hand, you know, I was talking to other agents beforehand about another idea and that came through me just knowing someone another writer who had an agent and he just connected me. So if you know anyone who, you know, has an agent, I think it can't hurt to reach out. I, I know that that my agent, Laurie, has gotten many clients who have just reached out to her and said, hey, here, I have this idea. And I think that oftentimes people are a little intimidated to kind of blindly reach out to to people 
you know, agents, managers, even editors, if they want to work for certain publications. But I have found throughout my career that if you do reach out and say, hey, here's an idea, I'd love to work with you, that can often take you further than maybe you might think. Love that. We always ask if you could take any writer, living or dead, to any fast food restaurant. No one ever wants to answer fast food. So any restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? That's a fantastic question. I would choose Walker Percy. Where would I take Walker Percy? I would take him to, uh, we'll go with fast food. I like that. We'll, we'll, I'll take Walker Percy to Raising Cane's, the, the chicken finger restaurant, just because I feel like he would have just some really, really, I feel like he would have a whole novel in him about Southern Louisiana food turning into chicken tenders. I, I feel like that would be his next moviegoer, the moviegoer part two. Love that. Like I said, we always ask that question for you. I'm going to add a bonus question. If you could take Jeff Goldblum to any restaurant, whether it's fast food or otherwise, based on what you know, where would you take him and what would you ask him? Oh, so he is an extremely picky eater these days. He's generally vegetarian. He, I read so many, I heard so many stories about people going to dinner with him and he will take a dish and completely dismantle it and ask me have this and that and not that and generally ends up with like just kind of a plain vegetable with like a tiny bit of olive oil. So I, for maybe my own amusement, I would take him to a steakhouse just to see what he would do. No, I would take him to sweet green. I feel like he would like sweet green. It's simple salads, sourced ingredients. And I would ask him, well, first I'd ask him if he read the book. If he hadn't, the big question that I want to ask him is looking, you know, he, like I mentioned earlier, he's always said he's not a careerist. So looking back on his career, what does he think? You know, does he wish he had done things differently at any point, or is he content with this very odd career that he's led? The last question we always ask is if you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career to pass along to the writers who are listening, what is the one thing that you would say? I think it's what I said earlier. I think this is whenever a young journalist reaches out and asks what they can do, I say two things. So that's kind of a cheat because you said one, but one, do it, do the work, do the right. Just Don't wait for inspiration. Don't wait for an opportunity. If you're in school, join your school newspaper. If you're in a community, join the community newspaper. Find a way to write consistently and often about things that maybe you're not super interested in, something that other people are interested in. I think that really teaches you empathy as a writer. It also teaches you versatility, which is more and more useful, I think, in today's world. And the other big insight is don't be afraid to ask for your chance. Don't be afraid to I've emailed so many editors that, you know, didn't give me the time of day, said no. But, you know, for maybe every 50 emails, then there was one who gave me an opportunity. And you listed all those publications in the beginning that I've written for Atlantic, Esquire, GQ. The way that all of that came about is me reaching out and saying, hey, I have an idea. I'd love to work with you. And it requires a lot of perseverance, I think, and it requires a lot of rejection. But in the end, if you keep doing it, I think that it really pays off. So, you know, do the writing all the time. Don't wait for the writing to come to you. You got to do it. And then don't be afraid to, to reach out and put it out there and, and know that you're going to get a lot of rejection. But that's kind of part of the game. Love that. Travis, my last, very last question is, did you have fun today talking to us about the process of writing your book? I had an absolute blast. I haven't, I haven't thought about my writing in these ways <laughs> before. It was, it was really interesting to kind of, you know, when you do something for a long time, I think it becomes second nature and you kind of stop examining it. So this was this was a lot of fun. Really, really fascinating. Awesome. Travis's new book, 
because he's Jeff Goldblum, the movies, means, and meanings of Hollywood's most enigmatic actor, released in May 2021. And it's in stores now. If you're listening, please check it out. Thank you, Travis, so much again for taking the time. Did you want to plug anything? Website, social media, Twitter, whatever you want. Yeah, sure. Website is travismandrews.com. Travis Mandrews is how I think people tend to remember it. Same with Twitter, Instagram, all of it. Travis M. Andrews. So, you know, feel free to follow me. And one of the most fun things about writing this is having people who read it and enjoyed it reach out and starting up little correspondence with readers. So, you know, feel free if you have questions or you you just want to chat, Goldblum or, or all things movies related, please reach out. It's been fun connecting with readers. Well, thank you, Travis, again, for your insights and your time. It was an honor talking to you and talking about Jeff Goldblum. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a, had a really great time. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.